to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight we are talking COVID Omicron booster vaccines in the fall. Who's eligible and will you have to pay? Also, with the kids heading back to school, how will their online habits affect their grades? What about their safety? We're also talking about Lyme disease, the health benefits of air fryers, and because we've been locked down for such a long time, there may be some beauty mistakes we've been making for a while. And now that we're going to get launched, we got to look good. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. There you go, Leo. You got that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yes. no problem. Perfect timing. Um, so things are changing into the summer. A lot of the restrictions have been relaxed. The CDC has made some changes in terms of quarantine and isolation and, um, and even exposure, whether you're vaccinated or not. So lots of changes there. Um, and so as we look to fall, as I said last week on the program, I feel we are going to have a little trifecta on our hands between what is expected to be a rise in COVID-19 cases plus the flu. And the flu will reemerge because we've actually had a significant reduction in flu cases in the last couple of years because people have been wearing masks and staying away and staying home. Uh, So, but we're going to, and then add to that a reemerging virus, if you will, which is monkeypox. And I gather there's a contest on with the CDC to, to change the name of that. But anyway, that's another that's another segment. But um, with that look ahead, you know, a lot of people are thinking we are through this. COVID is over. It is done. It is not done. There's I heard somebody say there's as much COVID around now as there has ever been. But we've got a little bit of herd immunity. We've got some vaccinated people. We've got therapeutics you know, things are coming together. It's not the death sentence that it once was. We can learn to live with COVID. But as we look ahead to the fall, there are some people um, who uh, are thinking about vaccination, you know, boosters. And um, and so are, um, you know, are you wanting to get a booster? Anyway, I do have a caller on the line. It's Evelyn in Winnipeg, and uh, Evelyn has a call, has a question. Sorry, her call is about wait times in hospitals. Good evening, yeah. Evelyn. Hi, Maureen. Hi. Um, by the way, I got my fourth booster. I got my fourth booster oh. this past week. So yeah, so I'm actually fourth, pretty happy fourth, about that. Fourth, hang on, fourth be- booster or fourth shot? Fourth shot, yeah. The, yeah. Know, the, the, two, the, two, the two last ones were the boosters, right? The third and the fourth yes. booster, yes. yes. So, yes. so you but had a primary the, series of the mRNA, which is the two-shot deal, and then two okay. boosters. So when do, the waiting rooms, when do the waiting rooms get improved? Because last weekend, I ended up in urgent care for five hours, and I ended mm. up in emergency for 10. Wow. And and did you have a significant problem? I know they triage a lot in the emergency departments. Um, there are some politics that goes on in emergency departments. There are certain professions that may have some control over whether that will change. But I think there's a lot of contributing factors to that. I think the nursing shortage is a, is a contributing factor. I think there's a lot of nurses that are burnt out. I think that there's a lot of nurses who are exhausted after the pandemic um, but we have a triage system here in this country that typically works pretty well. Um, so if you have chest pain, for example, 
that's why there'll be a sign in the emergency department if you know let the nurse know immediately if you have chest pain um, oh, i was dehydrated so that- i was majorly dehydrated my kidneys are weak um oh, i basically dear. yeah this was this was a situation where i was in um urgent care and emergency just because i couldn't fi- figure out why i wasn't able to uh, get fluids as fast as i can in my system this is this okay. is really bad because it's been really hot it's been really hot uh-huh. So basically, if you're not staying hydrated, um, there's going to be a long list. There's going to be a long list of people at the at the emergency. Make, makes me want to get a tall glass of water right now. Um, how did you, <laughs> if you don't mind my asking? Yeah. <laughs> how yes. did you um, get dehydrated? How did I get dehydrated? I still don't understand how I got dehydrated. Uh, See, and was the that thing. the diagnosis was... when you got to emerge? Okay. Originally, I had blood work done for my original GP, right? My GGP mentioned the fact that I had low, uh, low kidney function. Or no, mm. yeah, my kidneys were low functioning, right? So when I ended mm-hmm. up in emergency, an emergency, um, they gave me IVs, right? IVs for sodium to get my, to get mm-hmm. my fluids going, right? And the fact is, I didn't know there was something wrong with my kidneys until after my doctor told me about the original blood panel that was done. Mm-hmm. Down on me, and the fact of the matter is, is like you know, it doesn't matter how much I was drinking, I was not, I was not producing enough urine. I was not producing mm-hmm. enough urine, so I don't understand. I still don't understand because I'm still having dizzy spells, still having dizzy spells mm-hmm. due to hi- dehydration. Um, obviously, you know, we have to drink more than the allotted 12, 12 glasses of water a day. Obviously, when it's hot out, so yeah, because mm-hmm. that's you know. Our bodies, our body is not equipped for this. Normal, a normal human right. body is not equipped for this. No, no. Well, you may have been third spacing uh, your fluids, which occurs when there's too much fluid in your. It, it actually moves from the intravascular space, so the blood vessels, into the interstitial or the third space, and and that's yeah. sort of a non-functional area between cells. It, you know. Uh, people will get edema or swelling when they have um, when they third space, and it can take a while oh. for people to diurese or to actually um, release that for that to go back I had, into. I the- had major, I had major diarrhea, major diarrhea. It was it was horrible. I, you know, I I have never seen fluid go through me that fast. No, Which could have contributed never- to your dehydration yeah. as well yeah yeah but maureen thank well, you so much for elaborating on that it's sort of it's sort of confusing so i'm still in the middle of it i'm still in the middle of it and hopefully things will get back to normal i have a very caring physician she is checking up on me so with you know virtual and also face-to-face so i'm actually i'm actually in good hands i'm actually in good hands that's it's fantastic just, well you sound great it well, sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much. I'm all. I'm, I try to be hopeful and you know delightful wherever I go. It doesn't matter how miserable I feel. <laughs> so. Of course, of course. Uh, well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for the call, Evelyn. Oh, you're you're welcome, Maureen, and enjoy the rest of your show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so basically, what we're looking to is uh, for the fall is some newly updated COVID booster shots designed to target Omicron's BA five subvariant, and those should be available within the next three weeks to a couple of months. But who's going to be eligible for them? You heard Evelyn say that she'd had her primary series, which is can either be a one J&J or um, two mRNA vaccines. So it would be the, um, the one, as I mentioned, would be the J&J and the others are the Pfizer and the Moderna. 
Um, and then people will get a booster or offered a booster after that because of the waning uh, immunity. And then people over the age of 50 were offered a second booster for the same reason. So with this latest one, a lot of questions around, um, should people wait for the fall uh, vaccine or just get the second booster now? Typically the recommendation has been, don't wait, get the second booster now. And then in a few months time, get the one that is designed specifically for the Omicron um, BA5 subvariant. Uh, so that one should be coming out in about three or four weeks. And then there is another one. Pfizer is bringing out a bivalent shot, which targets both the original COVID strain and Omicron's BA5 subvariant. That's actually expected to be authorized first. Um, and so that will be for anybody. It'll have a wide swath for, for eligibility and it will be uh, for vaccinated Americans ages 12 and up. So um, Moderna's bivalent shot is expected to follow thereafter um, and, and likely will come in October. That will have a somewhat narrow range of, of availability, at least at first, and that'll be vaccinated people 18 and older. So younger people, pediatrics will become eligible likely a little bit later. And these are only projections. And, you know, it does kind of depend on what happens in the fall as well. But it's um, something that we're expected to to um, see coming this fall. So I think things are going to change. I think we're having a little COVID vacation right now. So enjoy it while you can. But I would still try to remain safe and um, still stay away. If you get on a plane, I would put a KN95 mask on and, or a KF94. I would, you know, if you're sick, I would not go, um, go places, you know, just in case test, test, test. If you have symptoms, it's a good idea to test. You don't want to be around people who have symptoms either. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't want to get COVID and you don't either. Even if you've already had it, you don't want to get it again. A Dutch study released last week reported that one in eight adults who were infected with COVID, who had been infected with COVID-19, experienced long-term symptoms or what is often known as long COVID. Long COVID refers to any of more than two dozen symptoms that linger, recur, or first appear at least one month after a COVID infection. They can affect all parts of the body, and they may include fatigue, shortness of breath, brain fog, and blood clots. Who wants that? You don't want, we're probably all exhausted. You don't want more fatigue or shortness of breath that impacts your activity, your physical activity, your ability to exercise, to walk upstairs. It could make you change, you know, have a need to change your home. Brain fog, of course, that can impact your job, your employment, and this can affect any age person. And then blood clots, great risk of uh, death with blood clots, to be honest with you. This study was published in The Lancet. It found that of its 76,000 participants, the they had persistent COVID-19 symptoms, including chest pain, difficulties with breathing, pain when breathing, painful muscles, anosmia, which is um, loss of sense of smell, tingling extremities, lump in the throat, feeling hot and cold alternate, alternately, heavy arms or legs, and general tiredness. 12.7% of the patients, these symptoms could be attributed to COVID-19, uh, and about 
0.4% of the set of 1,782 COVID-19 positive participants experience at least one new or severely increased symptom three to five months post-infection compared to before infection. So this is something that you still don't want to get. There is still COVID around. You still want to be careful. I'd be careful going to indoor events, indoor restaurants. Um, This is where generally people are getting it. Um, We still have the summer, so lots of things are happening outside, which is great. Lots of events are happening. Um, But, you know, the thing, and and if someone else isn't wearing a mask and you're indoors and you do, that's called one-way masking, and that actually works. So the symptoms that are most often associated with long COVID are the breathing problems, fatigue, loss of taste or smell, both before a COVID-19 diagnosis and in people who have not been diagnosed with the virus, but that is those people, that's how they determine the people who have those symptoms after, because they looked at actually both groups of people. It it allowed the study, the researchers to take pre-existing symptoms and symptoms in non-infected people into account. And that offered improved working definitions for long COVID and that provided more reliability with this study. So the bottom line is it's extremely important that you continue to remain vigilant in trying to avoid a COVID infection or another COVID infection. We, we need this data. We need to continue working on this. And so we also need to, which we're, I know that there are uh, long haul COVID clinics popping up all over and we're likely going to see more. We're getting ready to go back to school. And so there's one thing on my mind and the minds of many parents across the country. And in fact, some kids in the U.S. have already gone back to school. They go back to school before Labor Day, which is just, anyway, it's not my preference. But nonetheless, you're probably thinking about screen time versus homework. Well, a recent study from researchers in Western, at Western Ontario found that children have been spending almost triple the recommended amount of screen time during the COVID-19 pandemic. And this study was published in the Journal of Affective Disorders Reports. And the research found that on average, children had nearly six hours of screen time each day. And some children in the study were on their screens even longer at a staggering 13 hours a day, if you can believe that. My my question is, (laughs) I mean, is this any kind of babysitter? What are the parents doing? These are shocking findings. But joining me on the line, I'm delighted to say, is Jennifer Flanagan, and she is the CEO at Actua, and she is here to dissect some of the results of this and how to keep your kids safe online. Good evening, Jennifer. Thanks for joining me. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. And this is a critical time uh, in the summer, kind of toward the end of summer. We're transitioning over the, you know, the uh, pandemic is, you know, kind of becoming endemic. And um, and so kids are getting back to school and there's going to be fewer restrictions. There's going to be a little bit more Mm -hmm. normal, if you will. But one of the side effects of the pandemic was that kids increased their screen time. And this can mm-hmm. impact quality of life. It can impact mental health. It can impact mm-hmm. their grades. So what are some of the signs that kids are spending too much time online? Well, I mean, you, you, you made so many uh, important points in your introduction, and I'll, I'll just spend some time on a few of them. I think one of the, 
one of the key points here is that through pandemic, this has been, of course, abnormal situation, you know, a context that we've never seen before, hopefully we're not going to see again. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't only kids being online for school, you know, online, not just for kids, but for all of us was the way that we did everything. You know, we connected, we socialized, we, we participated in the external world uh, through through a screen. And that was our only choice for a long time. And, and you know, kids, unfortunately, have have had um, have a, had an even harder time with this because school has been uh, so disrupted. And so I just, you know, I want to reassure people that despite the studies that are there and the concerns that are extremely valid, and we'll talk about those concerns, um, some of this is going to improve by virtue of schools going back in person and kids not being online, not just the schools going back in person, but we have to remember all of the after-school activities, all of the, the clubs and the sporting events and the things that happened on weekends that um, were just virtually non-existent for the past three years. And unfortunately, a lot of that time was filled with excessive screen time. And so we need to we need to recognize that a lot of that is going to change by virtue of the context. But then we also have to be really aware of what those impacts have been and start to counter um, counter those things. So you know, you you ask the question, what's you know, what are some of the signs online? I mean, so they're you know they have physical complaints and. And, you know, I, I, I have two children and I've been through this pandemic and have kids who are spending too much time on screens, despite my, you know, my background and the knowledge that I have. But, you know, they, they have sore eyes and they have sore necks and they have phys- literal physical symptoms. They're also, you know, we, you have to watch out with teenagers in terms of, you know, being too secretive or hiding phones or seeming to have, you know, secret Insta account or not Insta, but social media accounts writ large. Um, uh, you know, just any kind of changes in behavior that um, you can see. And this is, you know, outside of pandemic, really making sure this is not just too much screen time, but if something was going wrong online or if they were in a situation that wasn't safe or somehow potentially harming them, um, it's really important to watch for those, you know, those changes, changes in behavior. That's all. I mean, there's two kind of separate active or two separate topics happening here. There's so much to talk about, but that one topic is kids that have been all, uh, on screens a lot. There's going to be impacts, you know, the physical impacts, the impacts on mental health, and the impact on how they're doing in school. Um, and it, that's all tangled up with school disruptions. And then there's the other side, which is keeping kids safe online when they are online. Absolutely. My concern here is that uh, kids increase their screen time during the Mm -hmm. pandemic and they're on YouTube and they're on, you know, watching YouTube videos and they're playing games and they're, you know, also did some schooling, I'm sure. Um, But for the kids who are spending 13 hours a day, that that Mm -hmm. smells like addiction to me. And so Mm -hmm. that's the one question is that how do you know if your child is addicted? But then the second thing, interesting, you mentioned some of the signs and symptoms. Now, teenagers in particular are tired, but when a child is overwhelmingly tired or more tired than the rest, um, you know, more tired than the normal uh, teenager and, and exhibits it mm-hmm. in, you know, extreme laziness, you know, inability to get out of bed in the morning, you know, disorganization, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my first question around that addiction is how difficult is it to transition from spending so much time online to even though school is back and activities are back and, and sports are back and that kind of thing, but is the child going to be able to make that transition? And then the second thing is, 
Is that fatigue something that we should look out for? Is it normal for these kids to be this exhausted? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I do think, you know, um, the study, and I think it's, it's important to be, um, you know, to look at the data carefully, you know, 13 hours a day was not the norm. (laughs) That was, you know, kids had expressed, you know, some kids had expressed using screens up to 13 hours a day. They're simply not going to have that much time to be on screen. So there's going to be an element here of just simply, you know, not having access to the screens the way that they have for the past couple of years by virtue of being out of the house. That is going to change. There's no question. Um, it is, and it's absolutely possible to scale to scale that back. You know, when we talk, I talk to parents all the time to say, you know, if you if you need to assess your own child, and you need to consider other aspects in their life. So, you know, their grades, their fitness level, where you think their mental health is. You know, do they have a tendency for risky behavior at, depending on the age that they're at? Because we know that, you know, the, their brain development does impact, um, you know, how much risk they take or how how they can assess whether something is safe for them or not. So it's, it's important that we, you know, that each parent assess their own child for those things. And if they think it is too much because their grades are impacted, they are not healthy, they're not getting enough exercise, then they need to take steps to scale that back. And that's just, you know, it depends on the age, but that's as simple as, you know, it's simple to say, not easy to enforce, but critical to enforce, just as we would if there was any other you know, thing they were partaking in that was that was not healthy. Um, you you work to scale that back, and you can do it slowly. You can do it over time, and um, you know, uh, like I said, I, I do. I want to reassure parents that are listening that I do think that a lot of this will improve going going back to um, school with more with more consistency. Um, and you know, the the tiredness. Uh, piece is it's shocking it's shocking to have a teenager and I know you know we talk to a lot of parents we look at a lot of studies I have a 13 year old Um, they are they require a lot more sleep and they are tired and the stress level that they have been under has increased that you know need to sleep and um, so I think again it is um, it, it is very child dependent and if if you if a parent is concerned that their child is is sleeping too much, then, then they need to, to take steps to, to figure out what's going on there. And maybe it is an exercise or a physical fitness issue, or maybe it is something else happening. But um, it, it, it very much is about balance. And it is also about, uh, the, the last point I'll make is it's what they're in, undertaking online. So not all screen time is equal. There are things that are more positive to engage with online, and there are things that are more negative. And I think those are really important conversations that parents should be having with kids you know, as soon as they're using these devices um, and, and an ongoing conversation that needs to be had is, you know, how are you spending that time online? So watching mindless YouTube videos versus doing something that is more productive or that involves learning or that is, you know, being done in a group or has some social aspect to it uh, is very different. My guest is Jennifer Flanagan. She is the CEO of Actua Canada. And we are talking about the excessive time children spend online and what you as parents can do about it. Thanks so much for staying with me, Jennifer. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. So next up, um, you know, some 
parents feel powerless against mm-hmm. uh, setting limits and healthy boundaries. There may be circumstances in the family where the parents are stressed. And in fact, I believe according to that study by uh, Western University of, of Western Ontario, um, that they did find that the more stressed the parents were, the more screen time uh, children spent. So if parents had financial issues or, or there were other uh, issues going on, if there's bullying going on at school, I suppose, or other um, issues going on with other children in the family, perhaps, or, or conflict between the parents, you know, that may impact a child's screen time. And, um, but, you know, so sometimes parents are exhausted. They're dealing with their own stuff. They don't want to say no because they want their kids to be their friends as opposed to parenting the child. Um, and, and that's a very common thing. And, and, you know, kids are so different today and every generation says it, you know, we walk to school 10 miles and, you know, 10 foot of snow um, mm-hmm. compared mm-hmm. to getting <laughs> dropped off, <laughs> getting in the lineup yeah. of Range Rovers and dropping the kids off. <laughs> um, so, you know, think times are different for kids today. And that big thing about setting mm-hmm. limits and boundaries. So how important is it uh, for you know, parents to take a look at themselves and then also, you know, do their children a, what I think is a service by saying no, by setting healthy limits and boundaries. And and the only tip that I heard recently that was great was from Al Roker, who's on the Today Show <laughs> in the States. Yeah, yeah. And he said, you know, yeah, because people were saying, you know, tell kids they can't be online after eight o'clock or nine o'clock. And then he said, turn the Wi-Fi off, which I thought that's brilliant. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I like that kind of discipline disciplinary action on the part of the parents. Um, How important is that for parents to set limits on screen time? Uh, Again, I mean, I think that I've heard all kinds of, we've, we've heard all kinds of tips like that, or, you know, you get the, you get the Wi-Fi password when you're done, your, you know, you're done your homework or you're done your whatever tasks at home you've been given. Um, And again, it, it is so dependent on the child and the household and what's going on in the household. And, and, you know, we have seen those studies that show that, um, you know, parents who are experiencing more stress in the house or who they themselves and, and, you know, that, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. If you're trying to manage work and you're trying to manage online school and you're trying to, you know, you're concerned about your job or your finances or, you know, just people in your circles being sick or, you know, worse than that. Um, it's incredibly stressful, and I, I would certainly don't want to put any more blame or stress on on parents. Um, but they can have very clear and, and very um, you know clear boundaries, clear expectations for what um, what screen time happens uh, in in their house. So that is just a, a that is about setting those expectations as a family and and having some that you know cover school days or cover weekends and holidays. Um, and and sets out you know when do we have phones or devices and when do we not again age dependent um it's really easy to say to a much easier to say to a seven-year-old look you know you've got one hour of tv or one hour of games or whatever that one hour screen time is going to be then then you take that away and 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 give them something else versus a teenager who's using that device Mm -hmm. to often you know in the case of of my kids and many other kids they're they have group work to do for homework they have you know, they're, they're talking to their friends that way. Um, they're using it to, to do homework. Now it's a slippery slope and we all know, cause we've ourselves been teenagers and we've had other teenagers in our lives, right? It's, it's a very easy, mm-hmm. um, you know, to slip in a little uh, YouTube watch or a little TikTok. 
uh, in between that homework. So it's, <laughs> it's having those expectations and following up on that, being a good role model yourself. We all, you know, are, are struggling to name many of us and myself included. When do I use my device? When do I not? So in my house, you know, there's no devices in bedrooms at night, for example, like they get charged elsewhere. Um, there's no devices at dinner table. And that's, I mean, that sounds ludicrous to a lot of people like, no device, like, you know, why do you even have to say that? But that, that, believe me, that is, you know, that is a huge, that's a huge change for some families who are used to having oh, kids at tables with devices. I mean, just the answer, we just do not have devices at table, you know, at the, at, at the table, yeah. um, creating screen-free zones in the house, right? So um, it, it's, it's a question of what works in your house, setting those expectations and following through on them, but also being realistic. We have to be aware that kids are how, how and why they need to use those devices um, and, you know, uh, having an ongoing conversation with them about what they are doing online and how they're keeping themselves safe. So, I, you know, th- these two conversations go hand in hand, how much time they have um, online and, and what they're what they're doing. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and I agree with you at the, uh, no phones at the dinner table and, and other, uh, other limits. And as in, well. in the bedroom at um, night because... is really key. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely know the, <laughs> that, that is an issue. That is a big issue, but yeah, you know, it's hard. These are tough conversations that parents have to have with their children. Mm-hmm. But, but the other mm-hmm. aspect of that is, online safety, which you touched upon yeah. a little bit, sextortion, mm-hmm. you know, and why mm-hmm. parents should be aware of it. Oftentimes people are in denial and they just think that they're on TikTok and they're on YouTube or they're harmless. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that in and of itself can impact mental health as we know, mm-hmm. but keeping kids safe online is a worry that a lot of parents may not think could ever happen to their children. But we know, um, you know, from other, from cases in the media, mm-hmm. for sure that mm-hmm. they do that does happen. Children are at risk for that. And, and I would imagine that the longer they're online, the bigger the risk there is. Mm-hmm. And the data is very, very compelling and clear on this. The Canadian Center for Child Protection, who, who is one of the major agencies that tracks this, they run cybertip.ca. So the number of reported cases of, of cyber uh, victimization of kids has gone up you know, 300% in the last decade, but the most sharp increase has been during the pandemic. So this is, these are cases of, of cyberbullying, cybercrime, you know, uh, sextortion, as you mentioned, which is a massive, uh, massive problem that, you know, I, first and foremost, I want parents to, like, really listen to how serious this can be and how it can impact any child. Like, you, it, you know, so many parents, like you said, say, it's not going to happen tonight. My kid would never send an online photo, you know, that was... Uh, compromising, like yeah, they 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 would and they could because mm-hmm. of the the how sophisticated these online criminals are, and so mm-hmm. you know um, it's really important that parents are aware that this is happening um, in large numbers to kids on you know usually starts on 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 TikTok um, or Insta and moves to Snapchat, and so you know we have good data on that. We know that boys are most most often impacted, most often victimized, which is surprising because I think most people would think it's girls, but um, 92% right. of cases in the last six weeks, for example, have been boys at cyber tips. So um, wow. really, really that- critical that parents um, are having this conversation with kids and it's not too late. It is not too late ever to start this conversation um, and to, to make uh, kids aware of what, um, 
how important and how, how much of a role they play in keeping themselves online or safe online. And, um, that, you know, if a parent doesn't know how to do that, there's so many great resources. Actual has resources on its website. Cyber Tips has um, resources. There are all kinds of things that parents can do to, um, to make sure that, you know, kids are staying safe. And if they do get into trouble, that there is an open line of communication that is there. Um, so that it doesn't snowball because that's what's happening. And that, those are the horrific cases that we're seeing in the media where kids just feel like they have nowhere to go and, um, and it ends up in a tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. Jennifer Flanagan, thank you so much, CEO of Actua. I really appreciate your coming on the program and sharing all of your great tips. My pleasure. You got questions, she's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. So nice to be here with you this evening, this summer evening or night, depending where you are in Canada. If you have a question for me, the number to call is one 399 That's one 399 98. This is the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. We've got lots to cover in this portion of the show. We're going to be talking about air fryers, the health benefits and some of the drawbacks of air fryers. Um, also going to be talking about some of those beauty tips that uh, that you need and, and one of my favorite products, <laughs> Vaseline. <laughs> anyway, um, for reasons that you might not realize. Anyway, I'm also going to be talking about primary anorgasmia. But uh, but right now I want to talk about something that afflicts people in the summertime and uh, some of the progress that's being made, made from a scientific perspective. I want to talk about Lyme disease. It's a bacterial infection that you can get from the bite of an infected tick. At first, Lyme disease usually causes symptoms like a rash, although I think it's only about 70, uh, 25% of people who get that rash, that bullseye rash, fever, headache, and fatigue. But if it's not treated early, the infection can spread to your joints, heart, and nervous system. So how do we prevent tick bites on people? Because tick exposure can actually occur year round, but they're most active during the warmer months. So April to September, and especially when people go hiking or they go camping and um, I won't be camping beyond a a Hilton. So there's no risk for me (laughs) from camping, but you can actually get a tick bite in your own yard. You can get it, um, you know, hiking or, or biking anywhere where that, where it's grassy, brushy, or any wooded areas, or you can even get it on your animals or from your animals. So you you have to uh, inspect your animals as well after they've spent some time outside. So if you're spending time outside camping or gardening or hunting or walking your dog, um, you could become in close contact with ticks. And many people do get ticks in their own yard or their own neighborhood. So one way to prevent it is that there are some products that contain permethrin, uh, 0.5%, and that can be used to treat boots and clothing and camping gear. Should you own any? I don't. Uh, <laughs> One time we went camping and uh, my husband said, what are you doing? I was taking a picture of the tent. I said, we're taking this tent down. I said, I'm taking some pictures of the tent. He said, why? I said, because we're taking this tent down and we're heading on over to the Banff Springs Hotel. (laughs) So one night we were camping and the next night we were playing golf. Anyway, much more my style. Um, 
so, but, you know, Canadians do love to camp, I have to say. And, you know, I wanted to be, I had a little FOMO, but that didn't last very long. Nonetheless, if you have camping gear, you can protect it through um, you, the use of this permethrin, if you would like. And the thing about per- permethrin is that it lasts through several washings. Um, or you can actually buy clothing and gear that is treated with this permethrin as well. Um, you can use environment EPA registered insect repellents containing DEET, picaridin, IR3535, oil of lemon eucalyptus, or OLE works for some people, paramethane diol, PMD, or 2-undecanone. You know, some people probably want to use more natural products. Um, there's a product from Avon for some bugs. I don't know if it works on ticks, but um, Avon Skin So Soft. I was absolutely eaten alive. We were on the East Coast this summer and eaten alive from the knees down and also my arms. Uh, but I did not use any bug repellent because typically we don't use it out here um, where I live. And so, but the East Coast, it was brutal and I was attacked. So never again. Um you don't want to use products that contain OLE or PMD on children under the age of three. So another way, obviously, to avoid Lyme disease is to avoid contact with ticks. So you want to avoid those wooded and brushy areas that have high grass and leaf litter. And also, if you're hiking, you want to walk or hike in the center of the trails. Now, after you come indoors, you want to check your clothing for ticks because ticks can be carried into the house on clothing and any ticks that are found should be removed. And you also might want to uh, toss your clothes into the dryer on high heat for 10 minutes. That will kill the ticks on dry clothing after you come indoors. If the clothes are damp, you might want to uh, dry them a little bit longer than that. Sometimes your clothing requires washing first. So this is a time that you want to use hot water because cold and medium temperature water will not kill ticks. You also want to examine that camping gear or that any gear that you bring, that backpack. I'm not sure what one of those is, but anyway, um, and uh, you want to examine your pets as well, because they, as uh, you know, you, your clothing or your pet can be a conduit into your home. And so it can then attach to you later. So you want to carefully examine your pets and coats and, and, backpacks and day packs, whatever, any of your camping gear. Um, I don't even know what camping gear is, just to be honest, beyond a, <laughs> beyond a backpack. And you also might want to shower soon after being outdoors. So showering within two hours of coming indoors has been actually shown to reduce your risk of getting Lyme disease and may be effective in reducing the risk of other tick-borne diseases as well. And, um, Anyway, but the area of your body that you want to check after being out, check for ticks after being outdoors, because you do want to conduct a full body check um, once you return from your hike or return from your camping trip or your own backyard. If you're doing some gardening for an afternoon or something, um, you want to take a handheld or a full length mirror because you want to view all parts of your body. Uh, this sounds like the uh, the back to the bedroom segment, but it's not. It's the nursing segment. Anyway, check these parts of your body um, that I mentioned, like under your arms or in and around your ears, inside your belly button, the backs of your knees, in and around your hairline, between your legs and around your waist, because those are some of the common areas where ticks are found. 
So, you know, that I was very happy to see that, um, although the word vaccine can um, really cause some post-traumatic stress disorder for some people. Uh, But Pfizer has launched a late-stage clinical trial to test a vaccine that could prevent and protect against the protect against Lyme disease. Um, You know, the thing is people with Lyme disease, they can actually get, if they're not treated immediately or fairly soon after they are uh, bitten, they can actually get cardiovascular issues, extreme fatigue, um, you know, lung issues, lots of, um, you know, pain issues as well. And so it's very, can be very difficult for some people. So that's why this vaccination, which, which works, um, you know, vaccines work, I should say, they've eradicated a number of illnesses in the past. But if this particular trial by Pfizer succeeds, this vaccine can be the first human vaccine for tick-borne illness in the U.S. for the last two decades. The last one that was used was Lyme Ricks, and it was discontinued in the year 2002. But there are increasing global rates of Lyme disease, and that Um, you know, now that we can potentially offer a new option for people to protect themselves from the disease is, you know, it's, it's life altering. It is fantastic news. And we, we do have to, you know, take our hats off to these scientists who work arduously on vaccine research and development. Lyme disease infects about a half a million people in the U S each year and about 50,000 people in Canada. But that those numbers are probably a little bit on the low side, they, it might be higher than that, in fact. But the name of the vaccine, or the vaccine candidate, I should say, is VLA-15. It's going to be tested for efficacy, safety, and immune response. And there will be about 6,000 healthy adults and children enrolled in this particular study. And the trial is being done at about 50 sites in the U.S. and Europe, where, where Lyme disease is usually found, including Finland, Germany, the Netherlands, Poland, and Sweden. So people in the trial will get, or the design of the trial is that people will get three doses of the vaccine or a placebo, which typically would be, would be something like saline over a five to nine month period. And then there will be a booster dose or a saline placebo 12 months later. So it's going to take some time um, to do this clinical trial, but there is hope on the future. There's uh, the vaccine is a protein subunit vaccine. It targets the outer surface protein A of Borrelia burgdorferi, which is the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. And the protein is expressed when present in a tick and blocking the protein stops the bacteria from leaving the tick and infecting humans. So that's basically how it works. And so they've already had phase two studies and there's a strong immune response in both adults and children and the safety and tolerability has been acceptable. So they're moving on to the phase three study, which is the clinical trial process basically. And, you know, we could see this um, come to market, come to helping people. And I'm sure all you campers out there will be very happy. Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) You might not want to take a vaccine. Again, vaccines have been, you know, helped so many people over so many decades, but in the last couple of years, they've been very politicized and controversial. But, um, Hopefully, people will do. Um, will speak to their physicians about this and see if this is something that they would like to um, take take advantage of and, and to prevent that. But Lyme disease continues to spread. It's a high unmet medical need that impacts the lives of so many people in the northern hemisphere, and so so many people could potentially benefit if this 
um, the LA 15 vaccine does come to market, so many people could potentially benefit and you could just sleep more peacefully under the stars. Anyway, sounds lovely, doesn't it? (laughs) Not. I'm ashamed to say that uh, we have had a deep fryer in my house. Full disclosure for a long time. Fortunately, I don't like fried foods, fortunately, (laughs) but many people in my family do. But when air fryers came to be all the rage, I thought this is going to be perfect for us. So, you know, classic Christmas gift is the the air fryer. Um, You know, the jury is still out uh, on the family as to whether it tastes as good as that, which is soaked and drenched in massive amounts of oil. Um, But there are so many things that you can cook and slowly people are accepting Um, the taste, but you know, you can cook chicken, vegetables, onion rings, French fries, cheese sticks, fish, probably the only healthy thing on that menu, Um, pizza and donuts, um, to name a few. These air fryers are kind of square or egg-shaped devices. They're about the size of your coffee maker and they sit on your countertop. And then you can't put that much food in them, which I suppose helps (laughs) as well. Um, But, you know, you can pop in chopped potatoes or chicken nuggets, zucchini slices into a little basket that, that comes out. So it's, um, it, it utilizes air. And so a fan pushes heated air up to 400 degrees Fahrenheit around the food. So it's a little bit like a convection oven and that circulating air cooks the food, cooks the outside of the food first, and that creates a crispy brown coating, although not exactly like it is when it's deep fried, but that's okay. I don't say anything. Um, And it keeps the food inside soft, just like deep fried foods. Um, And then there's a container below the basket that catches any grease that drops. So the good news is, by most measures, air frying is a bit healthier because than, than frying in oil because it cuts calories by 70 to 80% and has a lot less fat. So that's very good news. Um, the cooking method, this sort of air convection type of method of cooking, might also cut down on some of the other harmful effects of oil frying. And that's the reaction that happens like when you fry potatoes or other starchy foods, they make a chemical called acrylamide. acrylamide. And that is associated with increased chances of getting cancer. And one study showed that air frying lowers the amount of acrylamide in fried foods by 90%, which is statistically significant. But there are some things about air frying that might not be better for you. In one study, air frying of fish, which I mentioned as the only healthy thing that we can toss into an air fryer or into a deep fryer, um, raise the amount of a substance known as cholesterol oxidation products or COPs. COPs form when the cholesterol in meat or fish breaks down during cooking. And studies connect these substances to coronary artery disease, hardening of the arteries, cancer, and other cardiovascular diseases. So one way to lower the amount of COPs when you air fry fish is to add fresh parsley, chives, or a mixture of the two. What um, this what research has demonstrated is that these herbs act as antioxidants to reduce the COPs in air-fried foods. 
So that's a good thing. That's really a time when I feel that herbs are medicinal because for the most part, I don't feel like, I feel like if you're buying supplements or you're buying all this crap people want to sell you, it's not really going to do anything. But in this case, this is food or which is herbs act as a bit of a medicinal component to this meal. Also, air frying appears to curb the omega-3 fatty acids in fish. So these good fats help lower blood pressure and raise your good cholesterol levels, your HDL, and they may help to protect your heart. So this is probably a good thing if you're somebody who likes fried food, and there's a lot of people that do, and if you want to maybe take off some of that summer weight <laughs> that you gained, usually you lose a little weight in the summer. Um, but if you're, if you've decided, Hey, this is, I want to, I want to live a little bit longer. I want to actually have a little bit more stamina. I want to feel better. I want to have better erections. I want to, um, you know, have more energy. I want to look better in clothing as I, you know, go back to return to the office and be seen by other people maybe an air fryer is something for you. The other thing, I've mentioned it on the show before, feel free to email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Speaking of erections, I have my all-in diet, um, which is a nutrition plan basically to help you to trim down, lose some weight, feel better. It is high protein, low carb, low glycemic index nutrition plan, complete with a shopping list as well. So feel free to email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Here we are, some beauty tips for you that you would not have thought of. We're not talking makeup here, although definitely need some <laughs> after I've been hiding for two years. Anyway, um, no, we're all online. We're all on Instagram. We're all on Zoom. Everybody sees us, but I did just buy a light to make me look better <laughs> on Zoom for those Zoom meetings. Anyway, softens everything. You might want to try that. It was some little round right here. Some little video photography ring light kit. Anyway, I'll let you know how that works out for you. Maybe I'll give one of those away in the future. Anyway, here we go. This one you would never think of as a beauty tip. We don't have too much time, so I may not get through all of them, but I do this. Okay. So obviously it's a problem and I don't think I can change it. I, uh, you brush after coffee. That's what I do. I like to have my breakfast and coffee first and then brush my teeth. I don't like to have that taste of mint that crest taste um, mixed in with the food. So it's true that the acid or sugar in coffee, sodas, and fruit juice eat away at your teeth's outer shell called the enamel, but don't, apparently we shouldn't be scrubbing them off right away. So when you brush your teeth right after you down, you know, coffee or an acidic drink, you remove that weak enamel. So wait at least an hour before you brush. I think I can do that probably. I think I probably at least wait some time after I have that coffee. I have a whole routine, you know? Anyway, get in the shower. Um, the other beauty tip that you might not think about, but this is good for your skin, is that you're not drinking enough water at cocktail hour. So obviously red wine is going to stain your teeth, but white wine has acid and tannins as well. And the acid and tannins can damage your enamel and make your teeth easier to stain. And alcohol also dries out your mouth. So you have less saliva to wash away the acid and the bacteria. So to protect your teeth and also prevent staining from that red wine, you might want to drink some water. Uh, rinse your mouth with water or even have water after every drink that you have. Hopefully it's not that many, 
because alcohol does dry out your skin or have a tendency to dry out your skin and make you look sloppy, um, especially if you're tripping, <laughs> falling over. Um, here's some another mistake I make. You swim with dry hair, <laughs> especially in a pool. So pool water has chemicals that damage the hair. And I know this to be true, being blonde, that um, the chemicals in the pool turns the, my blonde hair green. So that's a, just a lovely look. Um, but, you know, your hair is like a dried out sponge. So the recommendation is to wet it with tap water before you swim so it doesn't soak up as much chemicals in the pool. It's a good idea. Anyway, and then you're supposed to wash your hair right away with an after swim shampoo um, right after you get out of the pool. I may or may not do that, but it's, this is all about me. Okay. Um, and you might shampoo too much or too little. I obviously shampoo too much. I shampoo every day, but also it wakes me up. You know, I get out of bed, I hit the shower. Um, well, sometimes if I have to go somewhere, it just depends what's going on anyway. Um, but you know, I take a shower every day and I wash my hair every day, but you might do it too much because if you do it too much, apparently your lovely locks will become dull and dry. Um, but we all have different kinds of hair types. And so if you're one of those fortunate people that has thicker, curlier hair, you can go a few days to a week. Um, but if you have um, fine straight hair, like me, I have a lot of fine straight hair, um, they suggest you do it every two to three days. I got to do it more than that because my hair gets oily. Anyway, Enough about my problems. That's it. Another one of my favorite beauty products is um, a Vaseline. Love it. Um, but I get um, uh, dry lips, chapped lips. So that's why I need Vaseline. But it also keeps the moisture in. It won't add moisture to skin, but it will keep the moisture in. And some say it's a dermatologist's absolutely favorite product. And now something I, else I just wanted to mention for those of you out there who might be having a hard time right now in life, the post-pandemic, there might be job issues or um, whatever issues that are going on in your life or your relationship or with your kids or your parents or whatever. I just thought, um, I saw this uh, note about a study done at Harvard in the 50s where a Dr. Kurt Richter placed rats in a pool of water to test how long they could tread water. And on average, they'd give up and sink after 15 minutes. But right before they gave up because of exhaustion, the researchers would pluck them out, dry them off, let them rest for a few minutes, and put them back in for a second round. In the second round, how long do you think they lasted? Remember, they had just swum until failure only a few short minutes ago. So how long do you think they'd last? Another 15 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes? No. They lasted another 60 hours, I think it was. Let me just double check here. <laughs> yes, 60 hours of swimming. The conclusion drawn was that since the rats believed they would eventually be rescued, they could push their bodies way past what they previously thought possible. So if hope can cause exhausted rats to swim for that long, what could a belief in yourself and your abilities do for you? Remember what you're capable of. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.